If you have your Bible today, I'd ask you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians 6.14. title of my message this morning is The Blueprint for Home Building. The scripture says, Be not unequally yoked with unbelievers. In our well-worded pledge of allegiance, we say one nation under God. Someone realized that if we were going to be one nation under God, indivisible, that it was a mockery to think that it could be maintained in any other way than under God. Now we are realizing more than ever before, if we are to be one nation under God, we must have homes that are under God. As the home goes, so goes the nation. Only three times in mankind's history have we had total disintegration of a society. Some of you I know are history majors, and this probably will come back to your mind as I talk about it. 300 B.C., the Greeks uh, sort of deserted the family idea, and society just crumbled all over the world. It was the biggest mess ever. People just couldn't, I mean, it was just total destruction. In 300 AD, the Roman civilization came down because of a total collapse of family life. Things just ground to a stop because people quit caring, loving, and all of the things that make a home work. In this new century, we're just 17 years into it, uh, we stand on the edge of our country coming apart, our society disintegrating before our very eyes. You say, well, I don't think it's that bad. Well, think about it for a minute. Uh, We have all kinds of records being set in the wrong way uh, today. Almost half of the marriages in America are ending in divorce. Millions and millions of people are living together. The Hollywood model has spread across our country, and people have bought into it. Those Kardashians get the attention of uh, so many Americans. It's unbelievable. Uh, You know, when I was growing up, uh, people like that were called certain names. I won't mention any of those this morning, but they weren't good. The home is America's heart. The home is having trouble in America. So America has heart problems. We don't need any superficial uh, remedies. That won't work. That won't do it. Uh, That won't help us make the grade. The unsteady heartbeat of this mighty nation needs to be checked out by the Word of God to determine procedures for the recovery that we so desperately need. Simple prescriptions must be given and steps must be taken to follow the divine order for the home outlined in the Word of God. We can never expect this to happen uh, by 
the corporate level. The corporate level can't make that decision for us. It will never happen through legislation. You know, a lot of things can be voted on, but when it gets down to the family level, uh, you can't legislate that in any uh, body of representatives. We can never expect this to happen to our country, but it is happening. It's happening in this very day, this very week, month, year. It is happening. And then the responsibility is upon us as Christian people to do something about it. We must, in our individual homes, return to God's family lifestyle. There are many verses in the Bible where God gives us a blueprint for home building. Certainly it goes without saying that those who are to be married and have a Christian home, must love each other. Not just an arrangement for this reason or that reason, but because they really, truly, deeply love each other. That is fundamental and basic to everything else that I'm going to say today. We need to realize that a godly love moves from the spiritual to the psychological to the physical. Today, it starts with the physical. That's where it starts. It's backwards. It's moving in the wrong direction. Let me give you six tests this morning of genuine love. You might even want to write some of these down. The first is the sharing test. Real love wants to share. It wants to give. It thinks of the other person first. I was counseling a couple that uh, does not go to this church. Uh, They said they had fallen out of love. They just kind of came in matter-of-factly and said, well, our our marriage is, we've just fallen out of love. It's just not working. I gave them an assignment of getting up every morning and having a goal that day of making your husband or your wife very happy. And to do that every day. Well, they had never heard of anything like that before. And uh, they looked at me and kind of shrugged their shoulders and said, well, we'll, we'll try it, you know, nothing else has worked. We'll, uh, we'll try it. Well, they had never thought about doing anything like that. And frankly, they had never really thought about doing anything with their mate. But they tried it. And you know what? It made a tremendous difference in their marriage. You know, it's very, very important that we want to share and we want to build up the other person. The second test is the strength test. Does your love give strength to your mate and fill them with creative energy? Or does it sap the strength of your mate? Does it drain them on a daily basis? The third is the respect test. There is no real love without respect. 
Do you really respect the person that you're married to? You have to be able to look up to each other. Tell your mate the part of their lives that you really respect and that has been very, very meaningful to you. And that will, of course, uh, bolster uh, their spirits. And they perhaps then would share with you that which you have done, which has built them up. The fourth test is the habit test. Love accepts the other person even with his or her habits. You must accept your mate as they are now, including their habits and their shortcomings, if it's going to be real love. Fifth is the quarrel test. When couples come to me wanting to get married, I ask them, I say, have you had a real quarrel yet? And they, almost everyone, says, oh no, we haven't had any quarrels. We love each other with all of our heart and everything is just wonderful. Just wonderful. And I say to them, well, maybe you want to think about having a real quarrel (laughs) before you get married. Because it's not the quarrel that qualifies them, but it's the way in which they use the ability that they have to be reconciled. You want to see if they can reconcile themselves to the situation. That's very important. The sixth is the time test. I always tell couples, don't uh, hurry through uh, doing the things that uh, are very, very important to your life. And this is one of the the biggest, most major decisions that you'll ever make. Know each other. Date each other for at least six months before you get married. You know, in America today, a lot of people meet on Friday night somewhere. And the next weekend, they want to get married. Well, that's dumb. That's the word for that. One month, you ought to go out with that person Every night, every night for a month. I've been telling people this for a long time. I remember years ago, this guy came to me and he says, you know, we did that. We went out every night for a month. And, you know, I think I'm going to look around a little more. (laughs) You need to see the person in a stress situation. That's very important. How do they handle stress? How do they handle adversity? That's very, very important. Learn if they are sincere about the Lord. You know, some people come in with a lot of bluster and show, and, uh, you know, they, they just make a big deal out of it, out of their faith. And come to find out, it's uh, just bluster. And some people have to find that after years of living with that person. Find out how they handle their finances. Years ago, I was pastoring in Arizona, and this uh, big, tall, single fellow came and started visiting our church. And after he'd been there two or three weeks, he came up to me and he said, "Uh, Pastor, 
He said, are there any single ladies in this church of, of real substance? And I, I didn't know exactly what he meant by that. And I said, uh, well, what, what exactly do you mean by that? And he said, well, someone that is well-founded, has established themselves, owns their home, you know, well-established. And I thought, hmm. Well, it's interesting, in that church there was a single lady that was wealthy. And about a month later, I don't know how he found that out, he was dating her. And about two months after that, they got married. And about six months after that, they got a divorce because he never did an hour's work after they got married. He just married her to live off somebody. There's a lot of that going on in America today. And you need to be careful that that is not happening to you. Well, these are six uh, good tests. Uh, Don't ever make the mistake of marrying an unbeliever. That's our text today. If you do, you will be in great, great trouble of one of the basic components of life. 2 Corinthians 6.14 says, Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? Now, there's a lot in America working against marriage today. I'm sure you're aware of that. Well, if that's true, you certainly don't want to start with the deficit of marrying an unbeliever. A valid question this morning is, well, what am I going to do if I'm already married to an unbeliever? What do I do? What's, you know, what's the next step for me? The scripture is very clear about this. In 1 Corinthians 7, in that chapter, it tells you exactly what you're supposed to do. You are supposed to get up every day, live every day, with a singular goal in your mind of leading your husband or your wife to the Lord Jesus Christ. That is your job. And you need to work on it as best you can every single day. You are to obey God's blueprint for home building. Well, when you get married, you have to continue your courtship. In the early service today, I saw a lot of people poking each other during this part of the sermon. Well, this is done in several ways. You want to renew your vocal expressions of love. That's very important. It's essential that husbands and wives verbally express their love for each other on a daily basis. Have you told your wife today that you love her? Don't want to see any hands here. How long has it been since you've told her that? Every married couple needs to use those endearing, sweet little terms 
actions or words that express their affection and love for each other. Some people say, honey bunch. I don't like that. I say, darling. I like that. Those are verbal expressions of love that are very, very important. You want to renew your physical expressions of love. Sex is one of God's great gifts to each one of us. It was never meant to be dirty or ugly. It's a beautiful thing. God has two rules about sex. I have mentioned this in some sermons prior to today. Two rules about sex. Before marriage, wait. After marriage, make up for lost time. A tender touch is very important. That's very important. You need to keep it exciting and romantic at home. Renewed attention to physical attractiveness is very important. Husbands and wives should seek to make themselves just as physically attractive as possible with their spouses. Body odor. Bad breath, messed up hair, has ruined a lot of marriages. You say, oh, no, it has. Yes, it has. Yes, it has. One time, many years ago, I couldn't believe this happened, but for three weeks in a row, I talked to three different wives who said this, almost verbatim. They said, you know, my husband, every Saturday, he doesn't take a bath. He smells bad. He sits on the couch wearing the oldest, grubbiest clothes that he has. And he watches uh, sports on TV all day drinking beer. All three of them say that to me, almost verbatim. You know, sloppy and stinking is not very attractive. Is not. It's not very attractive. Aging happens to everyone. No matter how good looking you are at your age, there will be someone out there that is better looking. As the years come, most people put on a little weight. Did you hear the joke about the man? Uh, he got married and uh, he took his wife uh, to a Halloween costume party and what everybody was supposed to do was to guess who the person was well the girl that he had married was really really skinny and so she thought she would put a sheet over herself and go as a ghost and everybody at the party said I know what you know I know know what you are you're dental floss Well, that wasn't very nice. (laughs) The man said 10 years later, she was so offended by that, that she had been eating for 10 years, just eating everything in sight. She got enormous, just huge. She didn't want to be skinny anymore. 
evil can evil call to see if he could uh, jump over her with his motorcycle. <laughs> you know, God has made men uh, visual by nature. That's very important. So, ladies, you need to look as good as you can. You need to remember at work, in the neighborhood, at the club, on trips, he is with women that are all dolled up. When he comes home from work and you look sloppy and your hair's all messed up, don't be too amazed that he is not very excited. Men are visual by nature. Well, what is the right plan? Charles Spurgeon, great, great preacher for many, many years, said this, Woman was not taken out of the man's head to be lorded over by him. He was not taken from his feet to be trampled on by him, but from his side to be equal with him, from under his arm to be protected by him, from near to his heart to be loved by him. That's God's blueprint. When this blueprint is followed, a victorious, happy family life, is the result. Ephesians 5.22 says, Wives, submit yourself to your husbands as unto the Lord. Look at it this way, ladies. If you want to be treated like a queen, and every woman around, of course, wants to be treated like a queen, only wives of kings can be guaranteed that they're going to be treated like a queen. The shortest route to becoming a queen is crowning your very own husband as a king. You will discover that the moment you crown your husband a king, he begins to feel the part. And he begins, of course, to look for a queen. He will designate you as his queen. And, of course, he will begin to treat you that way. Well, there is, on the other hand, a disaster in a dominating wife. If you dominate your husband, he won't be the kind of man that can meet your needs for very long. You will one day resent the kind of man that he has become through your dominance. The scripture also says, Husbands, love your wife as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Christ has been given leadership of the church for very obvious reasons, for who he is and for what he has done. The maximum benefits come when Christ is recognized as the head of the church and when the husband is recognized as the head of the family. In recognition... That recognition will come only as you love in the many ways that Christ has loved the church. Well, how did Christ love the church? He loved the church so much that he died for the church. You know, if you, wives, if you knew that your husband was willing to die for you, 
Wouldn't that make a tremendous difference in your life? It's a very, very important thing. Christ did not abuse the church. He loved the church. How does the husband love his wife to that degree? I want to mention some steps, husbands, that you can take. Number one, you should be the provider. A lot of people say to me when I say that, uh, you know, that's, that's a long time ago. That's not today. Everybody works today. Well, that may be true. A wife and a family are uniquely the husband's responsibility, whether everybody's working or not. He is to provide security, identity, and unity for the wife and the children. Secondly, the husband should be the protector. I have a loaded 38 right beside my bed. And if somebody breaks in, I'm going to shoot them. That's the way that works. Uh, I'm going to do my very, very best to protect my wife. Uh, I've seen that in the Bible many, many, many times, and I don't apologize for it. I think that's the way it ought to be. The husband is to protect the family physically, socially, spiritually, mentally, emotionally. In all of those ways, the husband who is filled with the Holy Spirit of God will, by his very presence, create a protective atmosphere in the home. The husband, number three, as priest. If every father could awaken to the ministry of intercession on behalf of his wife and his children that God has given to him, the lives of those family members would be so very much better. Number four, the husband as professor. Now, I'm not talking about a structured class. I'm not talking about giving grades. I'm not talking about any of that. This does not mean formal classes, but it does mean that the husband is there to teach his wife and his children the Word of God. You know, that is happening in very, very few families across America. And that's one of the things, one of the main things, that is causing our society to crumble right before our very eyes. Number five, the husband as partner. You are there and supposed to be there unconditionally and perpetually, permanently for your mate. All that is faced is faced together. There are times when your mate gets sick. And the man or the woman leaves. I will never forget the time. Cindy was having some double vision and having some headaches and some paralysis. And I, uh, we both knew, of course, that something was wrong. She went to the doctor and then she went to another doctor. They ran a bunch of tests and the doctor came out and he looked at Cindy and he said, uh, my dear, you have MS. And uh, we knew that that wasn't good. That's bad. 
Um, we talked for a little while longer, and then he asked Cindy to go and take, uh, fill out some paperwork or do something. But she left the room, and the doctor looked at me, and he said, uh, do you have a good marriage? And I said, yes, we do. We have a great marriage. He said, do you really love her? I said, I love her with all my heart. He said, well, that's good, because 50% of the wives or husbands leave when they get this diagnosis. 50%. I don't know the percentages for any other diseases in our country, but I know the percentages on MS, and it's very, very difficult. You need to know that you are to be the partner for your mate, no matter come what may, and no, long, and no matter how long it might go. It would be surprising what would happen in the homes across America if members of the family would agree on the declaration, let's be friends, let's be friends. The scriptures say to the husband, give honor to your wife as the weaker vessel. That means that the men are supposed to be tender and kind to their wives every day in every situation. The woman needs tenderness and touching and kindness. When all of that happens, the difference will make the average marriage very extraordinary. This blueprint makes the husband and wives friends and lovers and soulmates forever, forever. Well, I hope uh, that these have been helpful. It seems to me like this topic might ought to be preached on on every uh, radio show and every television show, show that's religious and from every pulpit across the land because if it's not, our country is going to continue to move in the wrong direction. Well, this morning, if you're in the house and you've been thinking about trusting Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've been thinking about uh, being the answer to your wife's or your husband's prayer who have been praying for you a long time that you would become a believer. Would you let today be the day? Would you let this be the hour when you come and make a public declaration of your faith. If you're in the house, you've been visiting with us, you know that you need a church home, I pray today that you'd come and join with us and be a part of our church family. We're going to sing a hymn. I'm going to stand down at the front. If the Lord leads, you just slip out, slip forward, and take a stand for him. Let's stand together as we sing. <clears throat>